It's, uh, it's really good today to be in the Psalms. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can uh, open up to Psalm 8. That's where we'll be uh, sitting this morning. Uh, we're just uh, catching our breath uh, a little bit. And, you know, the Psalms, when you, when you look at the Psalms, you know, we're, we're quite familiar with them. Um, the Psalms were the songbook of Jesus. You know, Jesus was always quoting and always uh, talking about the Psalms. Uh, and an early church father, Athanius, he wrote this about the Psalms. He said, Whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, the Psalms, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you learn the way to remedy your ill. He's, he's saying, like, whatever the trouble, the Psalms has help, right? It's like, whatever it is, go to the Psalms. So that, the Psalms were a very... Uh, very common element, uh, particularly to the early church. Uh, the Psalms was uh, very central. So uh, we're, we're uh, planning to just kind of pick a psalm and sit in it for the week. So we'd invite you and, and encourage you to uh, sit with us. Uh, you know, this week, as in the lead up to community group, if you meet this afternoon, uh, you don't have a lot of time. But if you're meeting in the middle of the week, just read it every morning and just kind of soak in it a little bit as we, um, as we meditate on the Psalms. <clears throat> So I want to do um, I want to do two things, or I've, I've only really got two things that I want to. Uh, not I've only got. I've got for you two truths that we're going to draw out of this psalm, and and they are um, the majesty of God in weakness and the majesty of God in creation. Um, but let me let me set the scene for you for a couple of minutes before we kind of dive into those. Uh, this is this psalm was written by King David. Uh, not all the Psalms are written by uh, David. This one was. And uh, we, we suspect that this one was written uh, one evening while he was in his bathrobe out on the balcony, kind of overlooking the city, at, you know, looking at the stars. Um, so just to, to kind of jump a bit further down, one of the reasons uh, they suspect that is um, when he refers to creation, he doesn't refer to the sun at all. He says the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. So it kind of sets the scene. It's, this isn't important. But it kind of sets the scene that he's sitting out there at night, just looking at the night sky and just going, wow. You know, last night I had a, had a fire with a friend, uh, an, an outdoor fire, a real fire. Uh, and it was beautiful. Like it was really beautiful. It was really peaceful. Like the whole week it's been windy and like terrifying. It's like, don't go out there, kids. Um, you'll get lip chap in like 15 seconds. But last night it was gorgeous. Um, and we just just kind of hold that image in your head of of just kind of David, King David, sitting out on the balcony, just kind of taking in the wonder of the night sky as we read this. So read, um, let me read Psalm eight for you. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever, pass, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So just to start with, look at the start and the finish of the psalm, like the start and the end of the psalm. Notice the repetition. Like if you want to, if you're trying to communicate something, you start with it and you finish with it, right? Like they say a good, um, what, what do they say about a good speech or, or a good essay? You tell them what you're going to say, you tell it to them and then you, you know, recap on what you've told them. So it's kind of like, if you want to get your message across, start with your point and end with your point. And, and the, the middle, the center of it, simply kind of reinforces and points back to those uh, uh, points. So listen to verse 1 and 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's where I get majesty from, right? So as, as you read the center there from verses 2 to 8, we're looking for majesty, are we? You know, David's saying, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So he's going to illustrate that uh, in, in the middle there. So ask yourself, how do we see God's majesty? Now, we're going to start just quickly by looking at the language used in his address. Because um, not, not only does he repeat that refrain, he repeats the, the title, doesn't he? The name that he addresses God as. If you, if you see in your Bible there, you'll notice the first Lord, it should be all caps, um, most versions should be doing that. All caps, O Lord, and then uh, the second Lord, our Lord, is just capital L, lowercase. Um, that's because they're two different names. So the first uh, Lord there, that is the name that God gave himself when he... Um, remember the burning bush, Moses by the burning bush? If you were here last week, you actually saw the, the little uh, clip that I played from it. Uh, that's... that's um, Moses asking, what do I say to them when they ask who sent me? And God says, tell them I am that I am sent you, right? Like God, you know, declaring his own name to be I am. That's that uppercase Lord. Whenever you see that, that's Yahweh, right? Like that's, that's the word behind that. And what is that? That is God is, right? Like I am, just absolutely. There is nothing more definitive than that statement just God going I am right and you hear it in Jesus before Abraham I am it's like beautiful so he's saying God is saying in this title David is addressing God like this God is saying I am the absolute reality there is no place on earth where I am not supreme there is no being or no power that matches me. I am majestic in all the earth. So here, just the title is already dripping with majesty, isn't it? You know, before he even gets to how majestic is your name, you hear it in the title. O Lord, O Yahweh, the second Lord is our king, our ruler, our master. O Yahweh, our king. Already he's going, God, there is not a place in the world where, you, where you're not absolute, where you're not supreme. And he said, he said four words, or two and, like two and a couple, like two and a half. He's barely started and he's already declaring God's majesty. So let's have a look at uh, the first point is the majesty of God in his might. Out of the mouths, verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still 
the enemy, and the avenger. Now, if you look at this, like if you're reading this psalm, out of all of the verses here, this should be the one that just makes you go, what is that doing here? Right? Like, how majestic is your name? You've set your glory above the heavens. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your... It's like, what have babies got to do with anything? Right? Like, just like, what the... Like, what is that all about? That should be the one where you're just going, I don't, I don't get it. You know, babies, they're, they're utterly dependent. They're weak. They don't, they don't know anything. By the world's standards, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're insignificant, really. Like, in comparison to a, a ruler, or someone in authority, or a, a prime minister, they're insignificant. How do babies fit into the, majest- the majestic plan of God? What are they doing here? They're just overcoming God's enemies, that's all. Right? See that? You have established strength out of the mouth of babies you have established strength now the question that i have straight away is what is coming out of their mouths right and and it's not even their arms or their feet like it's not even a little baby kick or a little baby slap or punch which like it can hurt like a little bit like if a baby kind of randomly grabs your hair and pulls your head down you're kind of like whoa you know like call me by surprise but even then it's pathetic but their mouths right like what a baby saying that that God is using to overcome his enemies. How majestic is your name? Hear that, the first two verses. How majestic is your name in all the earth? You defeat your enemies with babies. But isn't, isn't that amazing? Like what kind of king does that? What, what's that? What kind of show of force is this, right? Like when you talk of majesty, like you talk about or you think about in your head a show of force, right? Like you think of the US or the Chinese or the Russian armies and they, they kind of demonstrate their power, right? Like they put on a show of force or they pull their tanks out and they blow some stuff up and they fly some planes, you know, really close together and it's kind of like, what are they doing? They're saying, look who's in control now. Look who's got power, right? Like they put on a show of force and people are going, that's... Like, that's power, right? Like, they look at it and they go, wow, they could do some serious damage. But God comes out and he's just like, I'm overcoming with, with, my, with babies, right? Like, I'm overcoming my enemies. I'm going to quiet my enemies with babies. What kind of might, what kind of strength is it that God overcomes like that? It is a majestic might. His power at work through the most vulnerable and weak power to overcome the plans of the enemy. What a testament to his majesty that he stoops so low as to use babies to accomplish his purposes. I think the importance of this verse in Psalm 8 is that this is the only part of the psalm that Jesus quoted. If you, if you know... Um, the psalm well, you'll know that uh, Jesus quoted this on his triumphal entry, didn't he? He, this is uh, like, so to set the scene, um, he enters Jerusalem on the donkey and they're laying down the branches and they're praising, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Then he comes in, he drives out, um, 
you know, clears out the temple and then he's performing miracles in the temple. And we'll pick it up here in uh, Matthew 21. It says this, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? And here it is, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now just stop. What's different? Praise. Right? Like notice how he quotes the psalm, but he doesn't say you have established strength. He says you have prepared praise. So what are the, what are the babies doing? God uses weak singing babies to accomplish his purposes right their praise even on that day silenced the enemy didn't it i isn't there something unique about a god who reveals his majesty like that what what a king God uses the weak to accomplish his purposes. Let's believe that more and more for our kids. Like just not going to spend long here, but what kind of faith do you have that God is accomplishing his purposes through your kids? Right? That he wants to use them in your family and in your community to accomplish his purposes. Do you have faith for that? Do you have faith that God uh, might actually do something really powerfully through your kids? Because Jesus did, right? So believe, believe for that. Uh, to take this a step further, God overcomes his enemies. I'll just broaden it out so we can all be a part of this. God overcomes his enemies through weakness. Listen to it, right? God conquers his enemies through the weakness of the weakest. The weakness of babies. What does this sound like? Listen to this, uh, this scripture in 1 Corinthians 1. It says this, God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see it? God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord god shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong feeling weak today being weak let me just say this being weak doesn't excuse you from the plan and mission of god it puts you right in the middle of it right so a lot of the time we kind of go i'm weak I just need to withdraw. I'm just going to drop away from community and drop away from, uh, from being a part of God's church. And I'm going, no, that just, your weakness is putting you right in the middle of his plan and his purpose for you. Your weakness is the weapon that God is using against his enemies. That is amazing. It's the work of God in weak people grasping for grace and mercy, clinging to the cross. That's God's show of force, isn't it? That's his show of force. Look at my army. Look at it. Look at him. Look at my army. 
Weak, needy people making my invisible love visible. Doesn't it make him look the greater for it? Right? How strong is a king who can enlist that type of army? Now let me make a note on this. What is he doing with them? With the weak things and with the weak people, what is he doing? He's shaming the strong. So you feeling strong today? In control? Doing all right without the mercies of God today? Listen to James 4, 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That to say, boast in God. Let your weakness drive you to boast in God, in the majesty of his might. Now, ultimately, this uh, passage you know, finds its fulfillment in Jesus, who stooped so low, not just to use babies to accomplish his purposes, but to become one. And for once and all, to silence the accuser. Second point this morning is the majesty of God in creation. Listen to verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You know what I trip up on there? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. Like when you, when you, that's written by King David, who was looking at the heavens through a natural eye. And he's going, wow, amazing. The heavens, the work of your fingers. Look at what we know now, right? Like we look at, at a completely different heaven now. We look with telescopes that can show us things millions and millions of light years away. So if David's going, wow, we should be going, it's breathless. Like, you know, we should be on our face with the wonder of it all. Let me show you a photo. I'm going to show you a photo in a sec. This is um, taken by the Hubble telescope and they call it the Hubble XDF. So this is the furthest photo that we've ever been able to take. Um, as in... Like, there's no photo that reaches further into space uh, than before. This is like the best zoom lens you've ever seen in your life. So basically, they got the Hubble and they pointed it at a dark piece of sky, uh, comparatively no bigger than the thumbnail on your thumb, a meter away from your face. So if you look at the sky tonight or on your way out of here and you hold your thumb up and you see your thumbnail, that's... That's the section they pointed at. So to give you, a, give you a, a, some context, if you put your other thumb beside it and then your other thumb like over there and then there, like we're talking about a very, very, very small percentage of the space in the sky. Does that make sense? So we're not talking about they took a photo of 1% of the sky. We're talking about like 0.00 something percent of the sky, like a minute section because there's another bit over there. Right, and there's oh, there's a bit over there, and you know, like we're talking about a very minute section they took a photo of. So they pointed at a dark spot in the sky, took photos for about 50 days with about two million seconds of exposure time. Now have a look at this photo. This is the Hubble XDF. Uh, every single spot that you can see in this photo is a galaxy. 
So there are five and a half thousand galaxies pictured here. Now a galaxy, we're talking hundreds of billions of stars, right? The faintest galaxies here in this picture are one ten billionth the brightness of what the human eye can see. So you're looking at it, you're going, I, don't, I can't really see five and a half thousand. I'm going, that's because they're so faint in the background that it's one ten billionth of what your eye can see. There are over 10 billion galaxies in the known universe. And now that's just what we can see. That's the known universe, right? Like that's man scurrying around, discovering more things, going, oh, it turns out there's a bit more over there and there's a bit more. And this, this is actually moving away from us. So they say this is, uh, I'm going to stuff it up. They say this is 13 billion light years away from us, but it's actually moving further away. So the universe is expanding. (laughs) I hope you catch your breath. If not, let me give you an illustration. If our galaxy is the size of Australia, so if the Milky Way is the size of Australia, then our solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. I don't have one, but the size of a coffee cup. Our solar system in Australia, the Milky Way, is a coffee cup. And the Earth would be a little speck in the cup, right? So we've got Earth, there's a little speck, solar systems, coffee cup. And our entire galaxy is Australia. And there's billions of galaxies. Now, if that, all of that was the work of his fingers, what does that tell you about him? Like, you, like notice he doesn't say arm, right? Like you build model trains with your fingers. You build something that's delicate and small with your fingers. You build a house with your arms, right? What is it saying? What's it saying about God? It's saying he's huge. Like the magnitude of him. Try and wrap your head around this. If God created the earth with his fingers, is he the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? Could you help me out? No way. That's not how you approach him. You approach him as a king, the center of the universe, majestic. Can you, can you hear it? Can you hear the, the echoes of, of majesty? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, in light of all of that, do you ever feel insignificant about yourself when you think about creation? You know, when you think about such an enormous God and an enormous universe and you think about him creating that billions and billions of galaxies with his fingers and he's just holding it all together do you ever doubt that he cares for you maybe you do but compare this compare that with the insignificance you would feel when you know the universe doesn't care about you you know compare that with knowing the universe is aimless, that it's an accident, that it it just happened. And that's what mainstream science is teaching us, right? Like this all was just a tragedy. Like what an enormous accident. Listen to a quote here from uh, Bertrand Russell in, in the book Free Man's Worship. He says this, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. 
that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Isn't that a tragedy? Like, don't you just read that and just go, you missed it. Like, that is a cosmic tragedy. And he goes on to say this, that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which, which rejects them can hope to stand. And here, only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth, henceforth be safely built. You know, he's, it's, that's really clear. He's saying it was all an accident. Nothing's going to last only in despair can we find our place. Whoa, right? Like, even this background. Like, you, can you look at a background like that and just, I don't know how that can compute. I don't know how they can line up looking at the majesty of creation. But instead for us, we look at Genesis and how do we know that God cares for us? God stamps his image on us, doesn't he? On man, on mankind, he says, let's make them in our image. He gives us his mark. Creation tells us that God cares deeply for us, that as great as he is to make the universe with his fingers, he cares for you by putting his image on you. Second point here is that God rules his world through weak men. Look at verse 6. It says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Again, the same question that we ask for babies, we ask for men. Like, what are men doing here? What, what, what's with ignorant men? Like, what are they doing here? Oh, they're just ruling the universe, right? You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. God reveals his majesty in the way he puts man in charge of his creation. Weak man ruling over the universe, just like babies, ignorant and dependent, but having honor and dignity bestowed on them. Now, ultimately, this psalm is pointing to Jesus. Again, Jesus is the baby who silenced the enemy. Jesus was the man who stooped down low, showing us that the creator of the universe cares deeply for us and is mindful of us. And finally, Jesus is the one who ultimately has dominion over everything and everyone, having everything under his feet. Let's hear it in, in Hebrews 2, says this about it. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone do you hear there do you hear how it says but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels that's verse 5 in psalm 8 isn't it Yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. 
Jesus is the one who tastes death so that we don't have to. When you look around the world, what he says in Hebrews is when you look around the world, we don't see everything working the, the way it was made. He says, you know, Hebrews 2 says, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Things aren't what they're supposed to be. But what's the hopeful line there? He says straight away, but we see him, right? We don't see things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but we see Jesus, his sacrifice, his death on the cross frees us to enjoy the majesty of God. Again, hear the refrain, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So for us today, this week, delight in your weakness. Knowing that your weakness puts you right in the center of his purposes. And secondly, delight in God's creation. Knowing that he is majestic in his might, in his magnitude and in his care for you.